Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, February 19, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports High on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I guess we'll just start with what is technically NBA news, but it could have an impact on college basketball. I'll just read it straight from Adrian Wojnarowski. Quote, after a brief and tumultuous tenure, John Beeline is leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers as head coach. League sources told ESPN on Tuesday night. The Cavaliers are promoting associate head coach J.B. Bickerstaff to become the full-time head coach, and he'll run his first practice Wednesday evening. Beeline is 67 years old, supposed to say goodbye to his um, staff and players late Wednesday afternoon, and then he is out of here um, less than one season into being a professional basketball coach. He's decided it just ain't for him. Norlander, how big of a story is this? Medium to big. All right. I'm not convinced. As we, there we go. As we record this well after 1 a.m. on early Wednesday morning, shouts to the listeners. We got something for you, for you morning commuters. Wanted to get this to you here. Um, I don't know if John Beeline is going to actually return and coach in college basketball. Um, he's 67, and when... I mean, where do we want to go with this? So when he did take the Cavs job, I mean, I did have a couple of head coaches that know him uh, say to me that, you know, him taking this was not just, you know, the college recruiting aspect and kind of, you know, being fed up with that to a certain degree and obviously wanting the challenge. And, of course, you know, this was a good opportunity. And you'll recall Parrish when he actually got this job. Like, it was it was a stunner. Like, there was not – scuttlebutt about that happening until he got the gig um but after the fact uh, you know conversations are had and we come to learn that uh, no he was he was willing to take on this you know for him once in a lifetime opportunity um so does he want to go and just do this again does he want to reboot a program whether that is going to be texas if and when it opens is it going to be Boston College if and when it opens? Would it be Wake Forest if and when it opens? There's actually not a ton of jobs out there uh, at the power conference level that are in- expected to open. Now, we'll see where we're at a month from now and see if certain dominoes uh, create other ones. But this is, you know, we lead the podcast with it because he's the most prominent, coveted candidate now on the market. But there's a lot that goes into this, whether he wants to do it or not. And I don't know the terms of the financial settlement with him and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, I don't. we don't know that money. So if he doesn't want to return and, like, grind it out for five, seven more years and Cleveland gave him X amount, you know, $10 million, $8 million, I don't know what it was. And he's, you know, he's wealthy to live out his days comfortably. I don't know. We wait and see. What do you think, Parrish? Do you think next season we'll be talking on this podcast and those discussions will include the sport having John Beeline coaching college basketball again? Yes. And among the reasons is that, first off, he is 67. People won't say that like he's 67 years old. Yeah, well, Jim Beheim's 75 and Mike Krzyzewski's 73. So 
Um, this is a sport where you can coach into your 70s, and I don't think there's any doubt if if John wants to, um, he'll be given the opportunity. The main reason I think he'll be a college coach next season is because if you've just decided this is it, like, listen, I'm, I don't like coaching in the NBA, but I'm not going to coach again. Like, w- whenever my last game with the Cavs is coached, it'll be my last game coaching basketball. Then you just ride this thing out and you make them fire you. You don't leave mm-hmm. – you know, $12 million of contract on the table. Now, uh, according to Woj, there is a negotiated settlement, but I bet it ain't $12 million. And so he gave up, I would assume, literally millions of dollars to get out of this right now. And that would suggest to me that he wants to be in play when the college coaching carousel uh, starts moving probably in about four weeks, maybe even earlier. And so, uh, again, uh, to me, that's the biggest sign here that he does plan to coach college basketball again. If you were really committed to just, hey, baby, when this season's – whenever the Cavs fire me, we just going to sit on the back porch and, and drink tea every night, then you just keep coaching until the Cavs say, hey, we got to pull the trigger on this, and they pay you $12 million to go away. If you're going to leave millions of dollars on the table, that's got to include a plan where you um, are expecting to make those millions of dollars back uh, very, very soon. <laughs> yeah. You got him sitting on the back porch drinking tea. Why don't you put a why don't you put a damn blanket over his legs and a golden retriever at his ankles while you're at it? You're really painting a nice picture there. But if I if I were 67 years old and wealthy, I would like to sit on the back porch and drink tea. Uh, hey, I'm not I'm not hating on it. Just uh, quite the image you're you're conjuring up there. Um, yeah, I mean the. Uh, I it would be great if he got back in. Now where he lands would be interesting and in what he. Uh, what he wants to do and where he wants to go. And you mentioned Kay and Beheim. You're right. They're, they're definitely uh, septuagenarians, and they are still rolling. Kay, obviously, at a much higher level than Beheim currently, um, although Beheim did just land uh, Dior Johnson, a, what, a week ago or so, and he could wind up being, like, a really good freshman in college basketball a few years down the road. I digress. Um, all right, let's talk the the openings here, then, if, if, if that's going to happen. So Texas is the biggest one. It's the best job that's – projected to potentially open. Um, Shaka Smart still got a chance here to maybe rally and get, in, and get into the tournament. I mean, who knows? Crazier things have happened. But um, as we draw closer and Texas continues not to win, um, there's an expectation that that job will open. So let's just, you know, for the purposes of this discussion, let's say that it does. Um, John Beeline in Austin. Now, as coincidence would have it, you know, Luke Yaklich, who Beeline brought over three years ago to Michigan from Illinois State, he takes over the defense, and or at least he guides that into it. And Michigan has its best defenses ever under Beeline, and they have a lot of success. They make another Final Four run, and Yaklich is already there in Austin. Um, so there could be a potential reunion there. It's the best job. Uh, it could pay the most, and that would certainly be uh, pretty interesting. Um, if not that, then you know, will we see Wake Forest open or? Boston College, does John be like? I, listen, John Beeline is different. Parish like these are all potential options, and if they're put up there with the right amount of money, then maybe he's going to chase it. But I'm telling you, like I'm not predicting this would happen. But um, if you told me that like John Beeline was like, you know what, I want to coach five more years at a really good Division two or Division three school, like that would not stun me. I kind of think any option is open to him. And there's one more facet that I don't know comes into play or not. But, um, you know, someone told me after this news broke late Tuesday is like, if he's going to take a job, 
I'm not convinced that it wouldn't necessarily mean that one of the conditions of that job is that his son is a part of the staff. Now, Patrick Beeline was the coach at Niagara, and he and the school parted ways before the start of the season um, because of a, a, a couple of issues there. And then Patrick actually stepped away to to, to focus on – I'm paraphrasing his statement here, but becoming a better man, being with his family, and – and et cetera, et cetera. So Greg Paralis has actually done a very good job at Niagara. So question becomes, you know, when Patrick Beeline wants to get back into the coaching game, um, is his father the ticket to get him there? And would John want that to be the case? So if he goes somewhere for four years or six years, however long that he has, not necessarily a coach in waiting immediately, but someone like that on the staff. I don't know. That's I was told that's something to, that that should be – uh, put into consideration if Beeline is actually going to return to coaching. So that's a lot of stuff I'm I'm dropping on your lap, GP. Take it where you may, um, be it you know whatever school, whatever level, and what you think uh, might happen here. Well, first I'd be shocked if he's coaching Division Two or Division Three or NAIA. Again, you don't leave millions of dollars in guaranteed money on the table to go coach Division Two. I I uh, know he just he's just Beeline's different. I'm not saying it's going to happen. If but if you told me it happened, I'd be like, if there's one guy who is going to do that, I guess it would be Beeline. But anyway, if, yeah. if you told me it happened, I would tell you that he ignored his financial advisor. <laughs> <laughs> you like if you are if you just want to get back into it for the love of the game, uh, then what anybody would tell you, including your agent, is listen, the Cavs are going to fire you at the end of this season. You accidentally called the whole team thugs. <laughs> All right. No, geez. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you're not winning. Um, you're miserable. The players hate you. They're going to fire you. I had somebody ask me tonight. In studio, CBS Sports Network, they were like, well, are you sure they would have fired him? And I'm like, it would have cost them $12 million to fire him after this season. $12 million to an NBA franchise is nothing. They pay that to the, the, the people, you know, the eighth man on the you know, right. at, on, just, in the rotation. Yeah, $12 million for an NBA franchise is nothing. $12 million for a basketball coach is a lot of money. So if you really just want to get out of it and go coach Division Two or not coach at all, again, I'm just applying common sense here. Uh, your, what your agent tells you is they're going to fire you at the end of this and give you $12 million. Just like, you got another 30 game, whatever it is. Hmm. Like just tough it out for a few more months. They'll fire you at the end of the season. They'll write you a check for $12 million and you go do whatever you want to do. The only reason to get out now is to get back in the coaching carousel when when it starts you know moving in two or three or four weeks and I don't mean at the division two level I mean at the high major level the only way you make this work financially is that you negotiate a settlement with the Cavs so let's say and again we're, we don't know what it is it has not been reported but let's just say the the Cavs said if you want to walk away right now we'll give you $7 million instead of the full 12. And he says, cool, we'll do that. So he's got $7 million in his pocket. Well, now it's like, okay, how do I go make up the rest of this money? Well, I got to coach in a power conference and get a big boy job. And I think one will be available to him if he wants it. And yes, I believe he'll be coaching college basketball next season. Where? I mean, who knows? Um, Texas is the one people immediately uh, throw around. I'm not really ready to, 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 fire Shaka Smart on a podcast neither, in the middle of the neither night. Neither am I, for the record. Huh? Neither am I, but that is going to be the biggest school that people connect to. Sure, but I will say, if the Texas job is open for whatever reason, you know, I was asked this earlier tonight as well. So I said, well, would you hire him at Texas? And I said, before we even have this conversation, let me just shorten it real quick. I would hire him literally anywhere. Mm. Anywhere. And and this is not my opinion of John Beeline 
you know, a decade ago when he got the Michigan job, since I love to tell you when I'm right, I'll tell you when I was wrong. I, I thought it was a bad hire because I thought it was a bad fit. I thought at Michigan you needed a certain type of coach who could get into Detroit and recruit a certain way, and that was the way to be successful at Michigan. And John Beeline was like not that guy at all. In fact, when we did a Candid Coaches Series question about the cleanest Power 5 program in America, cleanest Power 5 coach just a few years ago, and we gave coaches the option to just say no. I think the question was something along the lines of, is there a Power 5 coach or a Power Conference coach that you genuinely believe you know, runs this program within the NCAA rule book? And you can say no if you want. And some coaches did say no. But the winner of that poll by a significant margin was, was John Beeline. And I remember talking to John about that after we did it. And he really... You know, I'm not saying he printed it out and put it in a trophy case, but it meant something to him that his peers thought of him that way. He was really kind that we would um, ask that question and then you know publish uh, the answers. He like really genuinely uh, appreciated it. And so here's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, you got a guy whose peers believe does it the right way. He's at a job where the city in which you need to recruit, at least historically speaking, um, has a reputation of you know you need to you need to know how to get things done to to move around in that city and yet here's a guy who went to the NCAA tournament eight times in his final nine seasons at Michigan and don't ever forget this last season they went thirty and seven got a two seed in the NCAA tournament went to the Sweet Sixteen and if everybody would have returned to school that could have they would have been the preseason number one team in the country not Michigan State. And then I think they lost three underclassmen, and none of them were like obvious lottery picks like Zion and Cam and RJ. There was no obvious reason that these players needed to leave Michigan, but they left Michigan, and I think that contributed to him saying, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to bounce. But my larger point is that he had a two-seed in the tournament uh, last season. year before that was the runner-up in the NCAA tournament, 2013 runner-up in the NCAA tournament, and could have very reasonably had the number one team in the country uh, you know, entering this season. Simply put, I think he gets the job done anywhere. And so, sure, if Texas was open and I've got to hire somebody, I'd probably try to hire him. I mean, maybe Chris Beard first, but certainly John Beeline would be on my list. And the bigger question to me, and you tell me what you think about this, because you went through earlier what power conference jobs might open. Wake Forest is an, an obvious candidate. Boston College is an obvious candidate. Um, Georgia Tech is probably a candidate on some level. Here's my question to you. What if you're an athletic director with a power conference job and you aren't real happy with your coach and the trajectory of your program, but you are leaning toward bringing your coach back for whatever reason? Does John Beeline theoretically being available make you make a move? In other words, let's say you are the, the athletic director at, and I'm just throwing these out there because they've been thrown out to me. You're the athletic director at Indiana, or you're the athletic director at Northwestern. And right now, you are planning to not make a coaching change. But John Beeline's agent gets in touch with you and says, you know what? Like, if your job happened to open, that is one my client would be interested in. Would it move you in the different in another direction? Uh, Indiana, the answer would be no. Northwestern, the answer would be yes. I don't know if John, again, I don't know what level he's going to covet in terms of one job versus another if it's Boston College versus just again hypothetically we're just throwing stuff up against the wall here against like a BC against a Northwestern I don't know we'll see and like if the number also I, you know, I 
I'm not. Maybe he does come back. I'm just saying I'm not. If he doesn't, you know, if he's not coaching next season, that will not surprise me. Let's say he did get seven million. Let's say he got five million on top of the money he already made. Uh, really good money for the past fifteen years of his career. Like if he wants to just, you know, sit on the back porch, drink tea, blanket on his lap, golden retriever at his feet, you know, that's uh, that. That's a pretty good life there. Um, so I, I don't know. He obviously is the most coveted candidate. That's a free agent, if you will, that's out there. Um, but you know, this is a, a rare case of an NBA headline with direct influence on college basketball. We normally don't get that. Usually, it might be the other way around, where you have an NBA opening near the end of the season or after the season in college bas and the and the pros, and then a college basketball coach is up for it. We usually don't have this, the reverse of it, and. You know, the trajectory, I'll end with this and then we can move on if you want because I'm pretty much done with it. But um, one, the, the trajectory of this is just bizarre. Uh, Beeline's like such a great college coach. And to think like this kind of whole debacle happening at this stage of his life and his career was completely unexpected. You heard players complaining uh, to reporters within like the first two weeks of the NBA season. And I don't know if this is all Beeline cutting loose or if it's the Cavs. I put just as much blame on Cleveland, by the way. If you remove the years that LeBron James was wearing a Cavs jersey for the past 40 years and take away the LeBron stuff, Cleveland's a horrendous NBA franchise. It hasn't been well run, and that's just not like the past decades worth without uh, LeBron. It's all, it's a lot before that as well. So there's dysfunction there, and I don't blame Beeline if he failed like this. I'm sure he hates the fact that he's done after the All-Star break. No one, no man wants that, especially when you're able to get this kind of challenge. So, um, yeah, some of it falls on him, but I think some of it also falls on the organization. That's a completely dysfunctional mess. It's been proven to be that for a long time, Dan Gilbert and otherwise. So, um, if if anything, because of that, like Beeline, there's, there is no luster off of his shine if and when he chooses to return to college despite the you know relative debacle that happened there in Cleveland. No, and uh, a whole bunch of college coaches have turned down the Cleveland job before. I mean, Tom Izzo's turned it down. Bill Self has turned it down. I believe John Calipari has turned it down. Uh, so I, I think Beeline had just reached a point in his career and in his life where it was like, you know what, if I'm ever going to take a shot at it, coaching in the NBA, like this is my shot. And if it doesn't work out, well, then, you know, it would probably be two or three years before we know it doesn't work out. And then – you know, I'll be in my 70s, and then I can sit on the back porch and drink tea. Um, nobody thought it would be done, you know, middle of February in his first season, like all-star break of his first season. I promise you, he didn't take that job thinking it would go this poorly. But reportedly, he ran into some of the same stuff college coaches who have jumped into the NBA uh, have run into. John Calipari famously, long time ago. I don't think John would be this way if he were in the NBA now. But in college – you can be a yeller and a screamer and, you know, the, the biggest man in the room. You cannot do that in the NBA. You cannot coach NBA players the way you coach college players if you coach college players aggressively. It will, back, it will backfire, you on, uh, backfire on you every single time, and it seems to have backfired on John Beeline um, within that Cleveland organization. Last thing, let's just bottom line. Mm. Yes or no, you think John Beeline's coaching college basketball next season? I'm going to say yes, but I'm like a 51-49 yes, where I feel like you're like a 90-10 yes. I'm like a 75-25 yes, and I'm just applying logic here. 
if you don't plan on coaching college basketball next season, there's no reason to get out now and forfeit literally millions of dollars. The only reason to get out now and leave that kind of money on the table is if you are pretty sure you're going to be able to get it back very, very soon. And that's by coaching high major basketball in the 2020-21 season. But we'll see. Let's move on. Creighton got a big win on the road on Tuesday. We're going to talk about the Blue Jays next. But first, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Creighton uh, was on the road uh, Tuesday night in a matchup of top 20 teams. It was Creighton at Marquette in Milwaukee, and Creighton wins the game 73-65. Marcus Howard was pretty quiet, just 4-14 from the field, 13 points, had zero in the first half. So you're not going to see that happen uh, very often. And now Creighton is sort of quietly 8-1 and one in its past nine games, 10-4 and four in the Big East, up to 14th at Ken Palm. Norlander, would you like to show your love for uh, Greg McDermott's uh, Blue Jays that are based and rooted in Omaha, Nebraska? They are. Um, yeah, shouts to, shouts to Omaha. Creighton has had three road wins against top 20 teams this month alone. Uh, Blue Jays will be in the top 10 of my power rankings, which we'll publish on Thursday for those of you listening on Wednesday morning, afternoon, or evening. I've already uh, taken a peek ahead, and they're definitely going to be there. They are they are absolutely rolling here. They, uh, by nature of this win, and Marcus Howard didn't have a good game, as you mentioned, um, in a in a still wide open pl- national player of the year race, uh, this this actually gives a, a little bit of a ding to Howard's campaign. He's still in it, but uh, this is the kind of thing that we might look you know at the end of the regular season and say you know that little thing there and that little thing there might have uh, made a difference in 13 points on four or 14 shooting. Um, I mean that's just that's basically if, in terms of points that's that's basically half of what he averages per game. Um, Creighton has. Tyshawn Alexander was terrific, and he is was expected to be Creighton's best player in the preseason. He's he's been that uh, certainly. He was awesome on both ends of the floor. Um, but I can't I can't say enough about Creighton in terms of how good they are. I don't know how much we've talked about him uh, on the pod this season, uh, but getting this win, by the way, trivia time. Okay, let's go. When was the last time Creighton beat Marquette three times in a row? I don't know, but your mom was there. She was not there. My mom didn't even exist. Neither Is that years. true? Your mom didn't exist? This must have been back back when two-year-old Tony Hinkle was coaching. Two-year-old Tony Hinkle was uh, was coaching about 36 years into his existence. Yeah, 1934 to 1936 was the last time Creighton beat Marquette three 
times in a row. Super impressive. Um, Creighton has six quad one road wins. They have eight or nine quad one wins overall. I heard you say it on uh, Inside College Basketball. They're up there. They got they a lot. Eight. They have eight. They're eight and six in quadrant one opportunities. 13 and 6 in Q1 slash Q2 opportunities. They have zero losses outside of the first quadrant. That is a sneaky good um, body of work slash resume for the selection committee because uh, Brent Stover, my best buddy and the host of Inside College Basketball on Tuesday night, he said, Man, it feels like nobody talks about Creighton. And I do think it's true that, uh, you know, we haven't spent much, if any, time on Creighton on this uh, Ion College Basketball podcast, but they have, again, quietly put together an incredible resume when you got eight quadrant one wins and zero losses outside of the first quadrant you've been rock solid pretty much all year you have and uh the refresh uh overnight uh in terms of the blue jays and where they moved up they're now 14th in in ken palm so they're a notch ahead of michigan and then uh just one spot behind penn state which got knocked off against a good illinois team that got io DeSumo back and uh io was tremendous in that game and, and illinois snapped a, a losing streak there so they got uh they got a, a a road win that is as precious probably as, as Creighton's was against Marquette. And now having won four in a row, talking about the Blue Jays, eight of the past nine, the only loss, a bizarre one, by 17 points against Providence. Creighton's now up to the fourth best offensive efficiency in college basketball. Marcus Zagorowski, um, half-brother to Michael Carter-Williams. Were you aware which of it? Which was my favorite thing. Yeah, incredible, Because right? it's one of those things that's true, Yeah, but it sounds impossible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it, it sounds, it sounds like there's no way they could be related. I know. Like, they, like say the names again. Michael Carter Williams is half brothers with Marcus Zagorowski. It doesn't make any sense. Nope, nope, it doesn't. But uh, <laughs> I swear to God, the first time I heard it, I thought somebody was joking with me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were in studio. Somebody was like, "You, you know, that's Michael Carter Williams' half brother," and I'm like, "That doesn't make sense." <laughs> Well, he is a very, very good player. He's been right there with Tyshawn Alexander as as the best. And then Mitch Ballack, uh, the junior, who's probably going to be – he's chasing Kyle Korver. I don't know if he'll catch him, but uh, Mitch Ballack has a good shot at being the second uh, most prolific three-point shooter in Creighton history. So you're talking about passing legends like Ethan Rogge and, of course, Dougie McBuckets, Doug McDermott. Um, so he's a, he's, he's a good three-point shooter. they got three guys that are basically 40% or better uh, between Alexander Zagorowski and Balak. So a uh, fun team, and, yeah, they've, they've got it really going here. So, so props to Creighton for Blue Jay fans that listen. I uh, wanted to make sure we gave you some love here. Marquette, uh, you know, we give uh, – we, we certainly am not shy to, about talking about uh, Marquette, but this is back-to-back losses, lost a heartbreaker – at uh, Nova six days ago, and now lose this one. Now you got to go play at Providence. Just kind of, kind of avoid a loss there if you can. Providence playing for like its tournament life with every single game, so it'll be desperate this weekend. And if you're Marquette, you're just trying to hold on to that seed. Like, can we just maintain like a good seed, like a, four, a five, a six, a seven at worst? Uh, keep an eye on that going forward. But yeah, big time when that was. By the way, the only game on Tuesday night between two ranked teams, uh, Creighton over Marquette. Like, what would be a a funnier combination of half-brothers than Michael Carter-Williams and Marcus Zagorowski. I don't have the answer for you, man. It's two in the morning. <laughs> but, like, the, Matt, like, what if we were doing a uh, we were doing a podcast and we were talking about Creighton, and I said, yeah, Tyshawn Alexander was terrific. He had 22 points. And then I said, oh, d- did you realize um, that's, J- that's Jack White's half-brother? Travis Diener. <laughs> like, oh, did uh, – Oh, yeah, uh, Tyshawn Alexander, he was terrific. It's wild. You know, his half-brother's Matthew Hurt. You'd be like, what? 
<laughs> like, I, what? And that's that's the way that's the way I reacted first time I heard Marcus Michael Carter Williams and Marcus Zigarowski were half brothers. Blew my mind. This is the way that a lot of people, by the way, have reacted to finding out that you are in fact white. Do you realize how many messages I've got about this? Do you realize how it, many? It, it's wild. No, I don't know. I'm talking, man. I'm talking like north of thirty. Okay, that people are like, wait, Paris is white. What? What? Well, in fairness, like, how could you be so familiar with the podcast and never seen my picture somewhere? <laughs> it's on Twitter. I'm, I'm getting this on Twitter. I would assume all these people follow you, and your avatar is you wearing that hat. I don't even know what it's called. Keeps but. my head cold. I mean, he keeps my head warm. My head. I want my head to get cold. I know. I know. Because you're right. You're rocking the bald look. You're pulling it off. Um. Anyway, Creighton over Marquette, one of the key games. What else stuck out to you? On Tuesday night, because it wasn't a it, like we didn't have a ton of games, but there were a lot of really good teams that wound up playing and in in suit and fought, wound up winning. Well, I would just say um, that on Monday night, uh, Kansas won no problem, knocks out Iowa State, and then on Tuesday, Baylor's at Oklahoma, only a four point favorite. Maceo Teague's not playing; they go win that thing, no big problem. And then Dayton goes to VCU. Obi Toppin's not great, and they still win that. No problem. So if you want to update what we were talking about uh, last week or on Sunday or at some point, uh, the top seven teams in the AP poll, coaches poll, and in the top 25 and one, and it better be in your rankings uh, on Wednesday too or whenever those stupid things publish, are Gonzaga, Baylor, San Diego State, Kansas, Dayton, Maryland, Duke, top seven teams in America. They are right now a combined record of 167 and 14. And they've combined to win 109 consecutive games. That's incredible. It is. And they continue to look good. Dayton particularly, they had VCU, uh, had not won at VCU in the past four tries. Historically don't play well at the Siegel Center. And win 66-61. Didn't get a great game from Obi Toppin. Jalen Crutcher, Jalen Crutcher played well. Um, and Dayton continues its, its you know, it's gonna, it's two seed right now. It's cruising to that, but it's you know if someone else slips up, it's still uh, it's got a faint shot at a number one seed there. So that was that was obviously impressive. And I watched most of that game. Um, Flyers just finding different kinds of ways to win uh, is what's impressive to me. Like even Ryan Mike Sell had had some good defense down low. Um, and man, oh man, oh man, they just I, I every time I watch Dayton, and I talked about this on CBS Sports HQ on Tuesday. Um, where they basically asked me, like, what's your confidence level that Dayton can play with anyone in America and win a national title? I'm like, I've been saying this for more than a month. Like, it's there. They can do it. Like, on offense, they can absolutely get that done because they can score in a number of different ways, and they're so good at getting the ball down low and scoring at close range, and then they're a pretty solid three-point shooting team as well. So um, that was great. And then Baylor just kind of went in the way it, like, it won the way it did. Again, sets the Big 12 record, by the way. 23 straight wins. It was a good night for Baylor overall. I'll give credit to, to David Smoke. I saw this tweet um, uh, on Tuesday night. So Baylor sets the record. Big 12 has existed for like 24 years. Uh, before that, was the it was the Big 8. And 23 is now the record. Kansas in 96-97 with Roy Williams. Uh, that must feel like 
four generations ago to Roy these days, but that was the previous record at 22. And Kim Mulkey of the women's team won her 600th game in a road win at Texas Tech on Tuesday night. And actually, I was completely unaware of this. She became the fastest coach in history to reach 600 wins in Division One, So credit to Kim Mulkey. Shouts to her. Shouts to Baylor. Shouts to Terry Teagle. Uh, he's the MF and legend to crib from my buddy GP. And, uh, yeah, Baylor, Kansas, both getting the job done. You know, we'll preview this game extensively when I'm in Waco on the ground Friday, but that sets up the biggest game of the season. This is the best resume and the second best resume in college basketball, and um, both teams, you know, leaving little doubt. So credit to Baylor for winning the way that it did uh, on the road against Oklahoma. Just to circle back the Dayton real quick, like if somebody were to ask me what's my confidence level that Dayton can play with anybody in the country, it's 10, 10 out of 10. Yeah. Like they, they, they've already shot, they've played with everybody in the country. They've won every game they play except for two. And the two that they lost were both at overtime to Kansas and Colorado. That by definition means they can play with anybody. And um, you mentioned Jalen Crutcher. You know, the thing people don't realize about him. He's uh, Marcus Zagorowski's half brother. No, his half brother is Killian Tilly. Okay. What if Jalen Crutcher and Killian Tilly were half brothers? How good would that be? How good would that be? It'd be 10 out of 10 good. That's how good it would be. (laughs) You want to get to the mailbag and go to sleep? Oh, real quick. Yes, but uh, real quick. I will just give a quick shout to Maryland for getting the job done as well. So, uh, you know, they were another team. uh, The the win was simple, but they also got it done. But it is getting late. And we can get to the mailbag. I I popped into the mail uh, the the reviews though, and uh, shouts to everyone for doing this. This is like in, this is some good stuff in here. So go ahead. The most recent one though is is a good one. So I hope that's in, involved there because there are some serious deep cut references in that uh, in that thing. I'm loving this. I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. All right, fire it away. What do we got? Okay, first mailbag question. We try to pull the questions from Apple Podcast reviews. So you go over there, leave a five star review. Write whatever you want to write. You've got a question. Um, maybe we'll grab it and do it on the midweek podcast. So I got three. The first one comes from someone who identifies as Catmo123. And I want to be clear. I'm not quoting these questions because um, some of you, uh, it just it's worded weirdly sometimes. So I try to just paraphrase. So basically, I try to get the gist of your question, and then I present it. Um, what Catmo123 wants to know is why is it that the rest of the ACC – specifically a team like NC State, has to do so much more just to be viewed equally as a team compared to, say, UNC, which is tied for last in the ACC standings. He says UNC gets TV time, discussed on podcasts, so on and so forth, and they've sucked all year. Why is that? You want to handle this? Because I've got a pretty simple answer. Just take it. Well, uh, North Carolina is one of the four or five biggest brands in the sport. Um, They're coached by a Hall of Famer with three national titles. They typically have NBA players in this particular season, a projected lottery pick in Co-Anthony. So North Carolina being great is a big story. North Carolina sucking is also a massive story. Mm. Um, So I'm not trying to argue that North Carolina is better than NC State this season, but undeniably North Carolina is a bigger national story than NC State this season and most seasons. Because North Carolina is a little bit like Duke and a little bit like Kentucky. And it's really those three, I think, that are probably a level above everybody else when it comes to this. No matter what they're doing, it's a big story. When they're great, it's a big story. And when they're bad, it's arguably even a bigger story. So that's why North Carolina gets talked about so much. 
it's a preseason top ten team that you know is is uh, terrible, and they keep losing at the buzzer, which is just ridiculous. It's unbelievable how many games they've lost one possession at the buzzer or in the final one, two, three, or four seconds. Incredible. Um, and Roy Williams actually he actually cursed at a press he cursed at the press conference uh, on Monday night. And then I saw the topic on the topic bar on PTI on Tuesday where they were like, "Are you going to give Roy Williams a pass for cursing or something?" I couldn't believe what I was like. Yeah, it's Roy, it's Roy Williams. Yeah, we're going to give him a pass. He's having like the worst season of his entire life. By the way, NC State is also like sixteen and nine, seven and seven in the league, not a top fifty team. Like it's nowhere near the NCAA tournament conversation bubble. Like it's got so. I think that kind of goes without saying, but I think that question gets submitted because NC State fans are a really passionate group and uh, and you know are eager uh, to try and you know keep pace with the Duke and Carolinas. But they're just again, I have no anti NC State bias like my anti Duke bias, which is uh, clearly evident on each and every podcast. Apparently, uh, they're just not they're not as big of a deal. But when they are and when they are interesting, we have no we truly have no biases on this podcast. We try and give teams and coaches and players and storylines uh, that are worth it uh, some run here. And NC State just has has not been that kind of team this season at all. Well, uh, let's just stay in the ACC for a second. Florida State's twenty two and four, ranked in the top ten. What's the bigger story? North Carolina. It is Carolina. It's, it's, it's it may not be just right, it, but that's what it is. And you know what? When we get to March and, and Florida State's fighting for a two seed or a three seed, like the, the, and we have talked about him. We've talked about Leonard Hamilton. Sh- shouts, no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, no, Carolina is because it's there. If Carolina was uh, at this point, if they were you know sixteen and ten, we probably almost never would be talking about them. But it's because they're as bad as they are that that's why it's such a big story. Right, like uh, there, Florida State is a top ten team in the country, and yet more people are interested in another North Carolina loss than another Florida State win. That's the simplest mm-hmm. way to put it. Second question comes from B Jansen Seven, and what B Jansen Seven says is that uh, listen, they've been watching Big Twelve basketball for a long, long time, and he says he doesn't doubt Baylor and Kansas on the defensive end of the court, but wonders if either is good enough offensively to win the national title. What do you think? Baylor and Kansas. Yeah, I think they're both good enough to win the national title. Uh, uh, just uh, you think Kansas is the number one team at Ken Palm has been that way for a while and is one of two teams that ranks top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. So top 10 offense, number 10, and number two defensively. Uh, they actually took a step back, uh, and because West Virginia was as good as it was in its win on Tuesday night against Oklahoma State, 165-47, West Virginia actually leaped ahead of Kansas in the defensive efficiency department. But, yeah, that's this is a pretty – Quick one. Yeah, they both are definitely good enough offensively. I actually got asked on CBS Sports HQ, and I'll, I'll ask it to you real quick here, um, which team I had more confidence in in March between Kansas and Baylor in advance of the big game on Saturday. Uh, Baylor's got the better resume. Kansas has slightly better numbers. You, you got to pick one or the other. March, right now, these teams this season, who do you have more confidence in? Kansas. Same. I said the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like, listen, I, I think, I don't think Kansas should be ranked number one in the country right now uh, from a human perspective based on the body of work. Um, uh, I think Gonzaga's got a better body of work. I think San Diego State's undefeated. And I think Baylor's clearly got a better body of work with a win at Kansas. But if you told me right now I can only have one team to win the national championship, I would take Kansas because they are really starting. To, to check all the boxes you need to check to win a national championship. Terrific on both ends of the court. Got a Hall of Fame coach. 
terrific point guard, uh, all-American level center, and they're starting to shoot it better from three-point range, uh, 35.1% now. And I, that's not great, but it's good enough. You know, North Carolina won a title a few years ago shooting 35% from three. Villanova's first title shooting 36% from three. So they don't shoot it as well as Virginia did last season or Villanova the season before, but they shoot it as well from the perimeter and with a, d- enough different players um, to, to match what recent national champions have done. Um, I don't think they're the clear-cut favorite, but I would make them my favorite to win the 2020 NCAA tournament. Yeah, I th- I'm I'm pretty close to you. I think if we started tomorrow, I would pick Gonzaga, but between Kansas and Baylor, I would pick Kansas. They'd be my two, and then Gonzaga. I mean, Gon- Baylor would be my uh, be my three. All right, last question: Who are you going to pick? Last question. Last question comes from Anthony, and I actually pulled this off of Twitter, and he says that he's frustrated by the absence of NCAA college basketball games on Sunday and Monday of the NBA All-Star break. He says, um, you know, there's barely anything on Sunday, Mm. barely anything on Monday. He calls it a missed opportunity for college basketball. Why you have the NBA on break every day that they're on a break, you should take advantage of it. Agree or disagree, dead leg? I agree. First off, I'm going to give a shout to this this Josh Pastner review, and we got to get to this next week. That might actually be Josh Pastner. I, I believe that that Josh Pastner. I actually think that there's there's a better than twenty percent chance that Josh Pastner actually did leave a five star review and a great comment and some great questions. So uh, let's hit that one next week because there's some good stuff in there. It actually is a good question. I wondered if you were going to go there, but uh, Josh Pastner shouts to you, and if it's fake, Josh Pastner shouts to you as well. Uh, the reader that submitted this third question is absolutely on the money here. Um, Big Monday has been terrible this season. It's been nothing like it, what it once was when obviously the Big East was bigger and the Big East now is no longer a part of Big Monday because ESPN doesn't carry that conference's games anymore. But um, it's, a, it's a good thing and a bad thing in some way. Like, it's good that, like, Monday are... You know, there's a, there's two games on and they haven't been good. So there's not a lot there. So I guess from a workflow standpoint, like it slows for us a little bit and that's good, but it's bad for college basketball. There's very few games. It's, it's nothing but those two games and, and like Miak or SWAC games. That's it. Sunday just doesn't have as heavy of an inventory. And that's be, sort of because a lot of uh, leagues, particularly the lesser leagues, which don't get as much attention, but the, all those games happen because of travel partners with other schools and the way league schedules are balanced. And then so you really only have schools like uh, or conferences like the Big Ten, the American Athletic Conference, a little bit of Pac-12. They just sprinkle in some, but the the listener is correct. Particularly in a week like this, you should have seriously stocked up on Sunday up until – 7 p.m. or whatever, when you know the All-Star game is going to happen, then get it done. Like, Oregon was playing a random game when the All-Star game was happening. Like, Pac-12, what are we doing? Like, that's that's horrendous. Like, you got to be better than that. And then on Monday, yeah, like, beef it up here. When there's nothing to go against, uh, that's when you should be doing that. So he makes a really good point. I would have to think that you agree. Um, and it's just, it's just a small thing, but something that conferences should be better at because there obviously is no one that's truly running college basketball that can mandate this kind of stuff. But forward-thinking athletic directors and presidents should try and get ahead of it and particularly you know, give their schools the best chance to have more presence and discussion when the NBA does have some downtime. Sure. In theory, I agree. It's always more complicated than you can make it sound on a podcast recorded in the middle of the night. You know, you got to have 
cooperation with television partners. You got to have a place to put these games. You're not just it doesn't do any good to play a game on a Monday night if it's not going to be you know put on a stage worthy of you scheduling on a Monday night. Like coaches hate hate playing Thursday Saturday or Saturday Monday. Yeah. Coaches hate the quick turnaround. The only reason you do it is for TV, and so you'd have to get you know television partners worked out and 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 all of that. Um, on the same page, but it, you know, it seems possible. And if it is possible, then absolutely. Like if you're not dealing with, you know, Monday night football, um, you know, NBA, like you've got a Monday night after the all-star game completely to yourself. If you want it to not take advantage of it seems, uh, you know, less than ideal, but, uh, I'll let smarter people than I figure that out. You ready to go to bed? <laughs> Sure, sweetie. That was uh, that was that was quite aggressive of, of you, but yeah, sure, I'll take it. I cannot believe Tyshawn Alexander and Killian Tilly are brothers. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm we looking at you. Start. We should just start making up stories about who's half brothers in college basketball and see how many we can get people to fall for. I mean, we might as well. It feels like 10% of this podcast is just us just making up things at this point, the stories or anecdotes either way, you know, naming arenas after players and stuff like that. So. <laughs> That's my new favorite Oh, it's thing. the best, man. Are you kidding me? I absolutely <laughs> love it, yeah. I actually get excited thinking about the uh, – the final four and one and naming arenas after players on Friday. It's the one thing I look forward to now. I hate picking the games because I suck at it, but if I can name the arenas, that's fun. I'm pretty good at naming arenas. You are, you are quite good at that. So, um, I will be traveling to Waco, Texas on Thursday. I'll be on the ground in there Friday. We will, I don't know when the, we're going to get the podcast to you. We will get it to you, but, um, Baylor's practicing early in the morning and then uh, got some interviews scheduled, Kansas practice. So we'll figure out a time. I just don't know yet if it's going to be relatively early and we want to get to you as soon as possible or if logistically that's not going to work and then I'm going to have to squeeze in some time, bring the equipment to Baylor's campus and then get it sometime during the afternoon. But we will have it and obviously that will lead with, uh, with the previous some chatter on KU Baylor and then what other topics do apply. But just wanted to give listeners a uh, heads up on that in advance of uh, the biggest game of the season on Saturday. And Wednesday night, I will be in studio CBS Sports Network. We got a doubleheader, seven o'clock, East Carolina at Memphis. Penny Hardaway's Tigers trying to break a three-game losing streak, and then at nine p.m. Eastern, a uh, number twelve Villanova at DePaul, and then of course we'll have inside college basketball to wrap everything up at the end of the night. I would imagine that starts right around eleven p.m. Eastern. So with that, I say, shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. Fatigo. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. And like Norlanda said, we will talk to you again at some point on Friday. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 